Hello, it is Sunday the 20th of June 2021. I am ZM and this week's text on the White Pube is an essay called Boycott Zabludovich. The text version of this essay can be found at thewhitepube.com forward slash bdz. Poju and Anita Zabludovich have been collecting art since 1994. They have an official charitable organisation, the Zabludovich Art Trust, of which Poju is the chairman and Anita is the director. Their collection of art is now fairly massive and it has a formal home in the Zabludovich collection, a gallery chain principally owned by the Zabludovich Art Trust. That principal ownership just means that at least 80% of it is owned by the Zabludovich Art Trust. This might all seem a bit tedious, but this tangled and confusing network is just what rich people's financial footprint looks like. Bear with me while I make the connections. There's a Zabludovich collection project space in North London, a gallery space in New York's 1500 Broadway, and a residency programme in Finland. Anita Zabludovich also collaborated with David Grin, a curator, in setting up Data Editions, a site that lets collectors purchase video, sound and web-based art editions. Anita Zabludovich provided the seed funding for Data Editions and the Zabludovich collection provides a healthy amount of funding for a long list of cultural institutions, in London as well as internationally. They have handily provided an alphabetised list of the most notable ones here, and then there's a link. Their daughter, Tiffany Zabludovich, used family money to found Times Square Space, a residency and exhibition programme in vacant offices in Times Square, New York. Since 2014, there has been an international call to boycott the Zabludovich Art Trust and all its various international cultural holdings. The boycott is a collective refusal to work for or with the Zabludovich Art Trust, a refusal of your work, labour and the sale of your artwork to the Zabludovich Art Trust or to any of its institutions. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you how the Zabludovich goes about operating despite the boycott. And then I'm going to explain some nitty gritty practicalities about the boycott as praxis. If you're ready to dismiss this because you already know where you stand, hear me out. I'll even run you through both sides. This might be a long one, but I promise you it's worth it. Just hold tight. Since 1990, Podju Zabludovich has been the CEO of a private investment organisation called the Tamares Group. Tamares Group was founded by Podju's father, Shlomo Zabludovich. It has a $3 billion investment portfolio, but specifically it has stakes in a company called Knafame Holdings. I really hope I'm saying that right. Knafame is the largest aviation holding group in Israel. Through its Maintenance Wings Limited partnership, Knafem has a long-term contract to provide military aircraft maintenance services for the Israeli Air Force. In May 2021, 
the Israeli Air Force carried out 1,500 strikes on Gaza. Over 10 days, Israeli airstrikes demolished completely or partially 18 buildings, including the offices of the Associated Press, three schools and six hospitals, and the Al-Shati refugee camp. At least 256 Palestinians, including 66 children, were killed in a period of 10 days. As I am writing this, Israel has broken the ceasefire and launched airstrikes into Gaza. I cannot find reporting on the casualties yet. This military link is an old one. In 1950, Shlomo Zabludovich founded Soltam Systems, an Israeli defence contractor that specialises in manufacturing artillery for the Israeli Defence Force, or Israeli Occupation Force. They make howitzers so big they have to be mounted on trucks or towed by a built-in diesel engine and wheels and operated by a team of seven people. Shlomo Zabludovich made millions, an estimated 200 to 300 million dollars, supplying these enormous fucking guns and this artillery to the IDF or the IOF. That is, in part, where Podju Zabludovich's family money comes from. This isn't just a historic link to an army or bodies that have committed well-documented war crimes. The supply of services to the Israeli Air Force is current and ongoing. Further to that, Tamara's group's property holdings have included a shopping centre in Male Adamim, an illegal settlement in the West Bank. This link popped up as recently as 2009 in an episode of Channel 4's Dispatches. The investigation describes the settlement of Male Adamim as strategically crucial in ensuring Jerusalem remains in Israeli hands, so much so that Netanyahu launched his election campaign in the settlement in 2005. Just a reminder, Israeli settlements in the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, are in direct violation of international law. These are Israeli colonies on occupied Palestinian land, according to the UN. In the realm of soft capital, Podu is also the founder, major funder and former director of BICOM, Britain-Israel Communications and Research Centre a private research centre dedicated to increasing understanding of Israel and the Middle East in the UK. Through BICOM, Podu has a significant amount of sway in shaping public, media and governmental perception and opinion of Israeli occupation. Podu was caught up in Benjamin Netanyahu's corruption investigation and has provided a significant amount of funding for both the Conservative Friends of Israel and the Conservative Party itself, if you were wondering where his shaping of public perception would lean. Financially, this activity takes place through Tamara's group. Tamara's real estate investments appears four times on David Cameron's Register of Members' Interests between 2005 and 2007. The financial contributions from Tamara's group to the Conservative Party at present total at least £380,000. 
the Bludovich Art Projects is the registered charitable body for the London project space and other arts activity in the UK. Their company's house report for the 2009 financial year stated an income of £1,181,521 in 2019 and £1,114,769,000 in 2018. According to the Zabludovich Art Projects report, when declaring its sources of income, the charity has no regular source of income other than the donations it receives from the Zabludovich Art Trust. Poju Zabludovich is the director and trustee of the Zabludovich Art Trust and is listed as such in the Zabludovich Collections 2019 financial report. The charity does not carry out any fundraising activities. The Zabludovich Collections more than £1 million budget, annual budget comes from the Zabludoviches and their personal fortune, which in turn is accumulated profit from property that has included interests on illegally occupied Palestinian land and dealing and servicing arms to the Israeli Defence Force and Air Force. Like this, Tamara's group acts as the corporate arm of the Zabludovich collection. The Zabludovich collection's cultural activity acts as a PR front, laundering bloody money through the art world. It comes in from Tamara's to the Zabludovich Art Trust and into the collection like a straight line. But we should be specific about where it goes after that and whose labour and artwork this money is being laundered through. And boy, do I have a story for you. Way back in 2017, when I was a baby fresh artist, not even six months out of art school, I got an email from Haroon Mirza. He wanted to nominate me for a fancy sounding show and also speak to me about including my work in another show alongside his work at a gallery in London. He didn't specify which gallery. We arranged to meet for coffee near his studio in Camden. What follows is all alleged, as I have emails as proof of the conversation before and after, but I obviously can't substantiate an in-person conversation. So maybe this is a fictional conversation between a made-up older male artist called Harun with a U, okay? Harun. And a hypothetical younger female artist called Serena. In this fictional world, they sit down for coffee and fictional Harun says that he was interested in hypothetical Serena's work. He had seen a few pieces of her work when he was on the selection committee for a fictional graduate exhibition called Bloopberg New Contemporaries. (laughs) Harun came round to the topic of the show he wanted to include Serena's work in. He specified the gallery this show would be at. The Zabludovich collection. Serena was suspicious. She had heard of the boycott and was familiar with the fact that the Zabludovich collection's money came from arms dealing. Harun told Serena that the arms dealing had nothing to do with Podju and as soon as he was able to, he sold the arms company. He now makes his money in property, which is much better. 
Harun said that the Zabludoviches were incredibly personally invested in diplomacy towards a two-state solution and that they organised meetings between leaders on both sides behind closed doors. The boycott narrative lacked nuance. We're all complicit in a multitude of things against our own will, no ethical consumption under capitalism. This hardline boycott missed out their sincere progressive intentions. Harun said this show could be a great opportunity. The Zabludovich Collection is passionate about collecting work by young, exciting artists and investing in people's careers from the very beginning. Harun said the Zabludovich Collection would be looking to buy the artworks Serena might put in this show. And if they bought one artwork, it would be a short jump to them purchasing more. The purchase would be an investment, remember? They were powerful players to have in your corner. Harun said the Zabludovich Collection people had noticed Serena's work already. They'd kept an eye out for her since her degree show. Seen her work in Bloomberg, New Contempts. They had identified her as one to watch. Serena left the coffee shop feeling confused and a little bit furious. She was quite young, didn't know anything about the art world and how it all worked, not really. She texted her friend, Gabriel, who had been waiting for news about it all. Together on a phone call, they did some Googling and discovered that the property investments Harun had mentioned had included properties in occupied Palestinian territory. A few days after we met, Harun Mirza emailed again, introducing me to the director of the Zabludovich collection, Elizabeth Nielsen. Elizabeth sent me an email inviting me to come and speak with her or visit the gallery space anytime I wanted. She sent me her phone number and was explicitly clear that she was keen to speak to me about this opportunity and more. I was 22 and I didn't know my ass from my elbow. The art world was opaque to me, but here I was being explicitly offered access to the director of a large institution with a lot of money. I obviously said no. I even apologised to Haroon for some unfathomable reason. I explained the information I had found out about Podgy's property interests, like this was information he might not have known. Even though it was always going to be a no. I'm telling you this story because specific conditions were created around me that made this the hardest no I have ever had to say. It isn't an isolated incident. This strategy of reaching out to young, new graduates is part of the way the Zabludovich Collection go about working. In the Zabludovich Collection's own words, the programme features initiatives supporting emerging artists and curators, offers emerging artists without, without UK commercial gallery representation the opportunity to produce a solo exhibition and event, exploring art and education, working with London's premier universities. In short, they look to target young and emerging, fresh new graduates entering the art world anew. They specifically target young artists with little access to the apparatus of power, fewer professional contacts, smaller and newer social networks and less experience actually working in the art world. 
They specifically speak about purchasing works for the collection, about developing relationships with these young marginalised artists. They offer a route into an opaque and heavily gatekept industry for artists that, that often have no clear point of entry. It's an operational strategy that exploits the vulnerability of a precarious workforce. While this isn't a strategy specific to the Zabludovich collection, many institutions who spent lockdown casualising contracts for front-of-house staff could be described as exploiting the vulnerability of a precarious workforce. It does become sticky when discussing the moral implications of a boycott. Maybe, like the fictional artist Harun, you think this whole boycott business is a bit lacking in nuance, a bit too hardline, and we should hear the other side out. So let's do it. Let's discuss the boycott like it's a pro-con list. Pro. Artists must eat. I would like the money. I can't afford to turn down an opportunity that will get me paid. Con. It's beyond me or anyone, to be honest, to tell someone what money they should say yes or no to. But how much are they actually paying you? We've heard the figures and they range from around one to two thousand pounds. Around one grand for a daughter edition's work and one to two grand for an invite show. If you're a new name baby artist, maybe don't expect anything too far out of that price range for a sale either. Now, two grand might be a lot of money to you and me, but Considering Podju Zabludovich's £1.5 billion net worth, according to Business Insider in 2020, it's a bit lopsided. If the Zabludovich collection is really sincerely committed to supporting and investing in young emerging artists, don't you think they're a bit capable of spending a bit more? Yeah, money is personal and political, so it's up to you. And from a purely financial perspective. Selling to a big collector like the Zabludovich collection could mean your prices go up. Refusal might mean losing out on something tangible, whether that's opportunities, immediate money, or money from future sales too. But perspective is important. The boycott isn't just a white pube, one man smear campaign. Plenty of other artists and institutions have signed it. You might be alienating yourself from your peers as well as other collectors and future opportunities. Just be clear about what you're getting and what they're actually giving. Pro. I need a route into the art world and they're offering me one. I'm not getting any other opportunities and I feel like if I say no to this, I'd be blowing my big shot. Con. Again, if you really think this, then it's beyond me or anyone to tell you otherwise. I will say, if there's a Bludovich collection is knocking on your door, it's because you're cool and making interesting, exciting work that they see promising. It's flattering, but ultimately, they're looking at the social and cultural capital that you have and wanting to use it in their PR front for something quite insidious. They're looking into buying your art, 
They're not doing it out of the goodness of their hearts and they're not tastemakers that can give you your make or break moment. It's because they have identified it as already worth investing in. And that investment is part of a consistent, cynical strategy to artwash apartheid money. Pro. They're not actually that bad. They want a two-state solution and they organise meetings with leaders from both sides behind closed doors. This is a nuanced issue and you can't be so hardline about it all. Con. Fair fucks. I can't tell you how to calibrate your moral compass, but let's be clear about what's being asked. Though the Zabludovich collection has a public stance and puts out public statements about two-state solutions, this call for a boycott comes from Palestinian artists and cultural workers themselves. This isn't the woke brigade crashing in to ruin everyone's good time. It's a call for solidarity from a group of people who are being brutally oppressed. The Zabludovich collection's public statements about two-state solutions don't mean much when you look at the financial trail. They have been tied up with numerous points of contention, historically and currently. Please also consider that Podu has a huge amount of influence shaping public perception of Israeli apartheid through BICOM. He's the founder, major funder and a former chairman of BICOM. I'm not really sure what to make of the claim that Podu organises meetings out of goodwill for peace when BICOM have rolled out a well-tested pro-Israeli crisis management strategy during acute periods of conflict and initiated a stop the boycott campaign to try and frame international Palestinian solidarity as institutional anti-Semitism. If you're going to take their money, don't delude yourself about what you're taking. Pro. No offence, but I am one person. I'm not going to single-handedly change anything. So what difference does it make if I say no? Con. Oh, mate. This just fundamentally isn't true. We have collective power if we move together. And each one of us matters in that refusal. Neoliberalism individualism and fear of scarcity would have you believe that we can't unionise, we can't work together, we all have to protect number one. It makes these institutions look bigger than they are. I'll tell you one thing for free. What all institutions fear most is artists going public about the reasons for their withdrawal or refusal. If we all collectively agree to withdraw, then we do have power. And that power is entirely possible and tangible when we speak about the specific boycott. There's a reason why the Zabludovich collection used Harun Mirza as a buffer to approach me. And there's a reason why Anita has, allegedly, been seen sliding into DMs with her phone number at the ready when prominent artists openly criticise the Zabludovich collection. They're aware of how precarious this entire system of power is and it is built on the assumption of our silent complicity in it. There are way more examples of this same fight being won than we could ever know about because so many artists don't say no in public. 
Those private refusals aren't a problem until people start to feel like their refusals don't matter. They do. They all do. The art world could never, ever exist without artists. Each and every refusal is important. Pro. But all money in the art world is dirty money. If it's not the Zabs, it's an oil company, or it's the Tate and their financial connection to profit made as a result of slavery. The British government has the most blood on their hands, and we take their money via the Arts Council. We'll always be complicit in something. Why is this different? Yeah. Oh, con. Yeah, you're basically right. It is all dirty money. All of it has bloodstains from somewhere, and that's so shit. So painful. It shouldn't be on artists to navigate a financial landscape so hostile, sticky and complicated. See Morgan Quaintance and Imran Pareto's conversation on involuntary complicity in May's Art Monthly. I can't tell you why this is absolutely different in didactic terms, because I fundamentally kind of believe that All of those problems are important that you mentioned, right? But I can say that the the Zabludovich collection isn't just a philanthropic exercise with a morally iffy source. This isn't just about rich people doing rich people things with their rich people money. I believe they are explicitly and cynically art-washing money as a PR exercise. Profits rinsed off a brutal apartheid system are laundered through a labour pool of young, precarious artists. That is the Zabludovich collection's literal purpose, and it is one small part of a complex machinery that siphons in money to fund it all. Just look at the art they exhibit and collect. They favour artistic practices that bear the aesthetics of criticality, that have a political sensibility without ever being explicit enough to be specific and threatening. They're not buying nice, safe, abstract paintings from artists with name brand recognition at Freeze. They're actively associating themselves with edgy artists that have the cultural capital to provide them with a buffer for their darker corporate dealings. Assuming that this question is asked in good faith, I think this letter from a friend, and I've linked the letter from a friend, on Jessie Darling's Tumblr makes a compelling human case for the specific differentiation here. I encourage you to read it with an open mind and heart. Here is an extract. There is no clean, bloodless money in art that ultimately of all the private interests that constitute the situation of contemporary patronage are built on the spoils of colonialism, war and oppression. What is unusual about the contemporary situation in Palestine is that the demands for boycott, divestment and sanctions come from the people of Palestine collectively. And they come from a situation of permanent war. It might not be the traditional endless bombardment, but instead is a war of attrition conducted through everything from the controlling of calories of food let into Gaza so people have just enough to survive but are always hungry. The limitation of medical and educational supplies. 
the demolition of houses in the West Bank and a state of total securitization and siege by an aggressive national force against an impoverished people living in the most densely populated area on the planet. This is different, direct and specific. The call for a boycott comes from the Palestinian people themselves, and we know it's an effective strategy. Produce think tank, Bicom, has pumped significant amounts of money, time and effort into a Stop the Boycott campaign. Podu himself has underwritten a £300,000 fighting fund to oppose boycott motions from organisations like UCU, the University and College Union. See page 54 of a report I've linked. The Zabludovich collection functions as the cultural arm of a wider machinery that seeks to legitimise the Israeli state's brutal system of apartheid and colonial violence. A boycott fights back on a level playing field. It isn't performative or virtue signalling. It works and it threatens them. Sometimes refusal is the only thing we have the capacity to fight with. We should do it. Pro. I work for a cultural organisation and if we implement a boycott policy, it will look like institutional anti-Semitism. We may lose our charitable status as a result. Con. Firstly, the criticisms of the Israeli state or of the policies of the Israeli government are not necessarily anti-Semitic. It's incredibly important to not conflate the entirety of the Jewish community with the state of Israel. That flattens a wide, diverse community into a monolith and erases Jewish voices that continually speak out against Israeli state violence. Israeli occupation of Palestine is a colonial problem. So opposition to the occupation is an opposition to settler colonialism and the violent methods used to uphold it. The occupation of Palestine itself is widely recognised as illegal under international law. UN Security Council Resolution 446 declared Israeli settlements have no legal validity. UN Security Council Resolution 478 declared the annexation of East Jerusalem, a violation of international law, which is null and void and must be rescinded. UN Security Council Resolution 497 declared Israel's annexation of the Syrian Golan Heights is also illegal. This is a clear-cut issue. And an industry boycott of the Zabludovich collection for their proximity and part in profiting from the violence of an apartheid system is clear-cut too. I think this problem is a more realistic concern in the US, where several states have anti-BDS laws. Mostly, this takes the form of legal uh, legislation prohibiting organisations with BDS policy from receiving public funding. For the UK, charitable organisations are entitled to refuse funding and lay out the terms of ethical governance in their mission statements. If accepting a donation would be detrimental to achieving their aims, 
for example, by contradicting the cultural integrity of their mission statement or potentially threaten other sources of revenue through loss of public support or withdrawal of donations from other benefactors, the institution is entitled to refuse funding. So it's a really good idea, legally speaking, to get this in writing as soon as possible. If you have BDS formalised as ethics policy, then your institutional position is clear and potential refusal can go through official channels. For more information, please see the Chartered Institute for Fundraising's document on charities refusing funding. I have linked it in the text. Pro. I have been offered money from the Zabludovich collection through another larger institution, say, like the Tate, just a random and totally not real life example, in the form of an acquisition for said larger institution. I've been told that the money will be anonymously donated to that larger institution, so details of the money's origins wouldn't have to be made public. Con. So, this is a thing. Allegedly, of course. The Zabludovich collection seem to mostly make purchases from their own invite series, but they do make acquisitions via commercial galleries. And if you look carefully at an exhibition's wall text, you might see their name in a long list of supporters. You can find an alphabetized list of the institutions they have given philanthropic funding to here. Interestingly, the Tate Modern's 2012 A. Arakawa show lists a display in the Anita Zab Zabludovich gallery. This gallery is not listed on current Tate Modern floor plans. Though you could certainly take their money for this acquisition without anyone knowing, the point about Zabludovich's bloody arms-dealing apartheid money being laundered through the art world's labour market still stands. In fact, it's, it's potentially amplified since the Zabludovich collection has a network of complicit arts organisations that are willing to play a part in mitigating individual unease about selling to them. This is inevitably the effect of Tory funding cuts and the impact of austerity on the cultural sector. The art world's increasing posit positivity towards private funding is something that Morgan Quaintance writes about far better than I ever could. But it's this cultural landscape that enables the Zabludovich collection to operate in this way, extend their influence and consolidate power. You could pitch a fair resistance to, all, to it all by simply asking that the money for the acquisition of your work come from elsewhere. Like you said, no one has to know. But you'll know. Be honest about what's being asked of you, even if you're only being honest with yourself. I think we've done our BBC impartiality diligence there and covered both sides of the problems with the Zabludovich collection. But just talking about the problems in isolation, like their pure theory, is a sticky one. What does a boycott look like in practice? And what can you do if you've worked with the Zabludovich collection in the past but have changed your mind? One. I am an artist or cultural worker and I hate this. Well, 
if you haven't already, you can sign the BDZ boycott. The BDZ boycott is a collective refusal to work for and with the Zabludovich Art Trust. Signing means you will be pledging to refuse your work, labour and the sale of your artwork to the Zabludovich Art Trust or visit any of its institutions. It's an important act of public it's an important public act in solidarity with those in occupied Palestine and their struggle for liberation. There is a sign-up form here. I have linked it in the text and I will link it in the description of the podcast audio that you're listening to now. If you're an artist with formal gallery representation, you can take preemptive action and make a formal agreement with your gallerists to ensure artworks are neither loaned nor sold to the Zbludovich Trust in future. Two, I have sold an artwork to or worked with the Zbludovich collection and I now regret it. You can deauthor the artwork. Deauthoring is the withdrawal of yourself as the author of a work. You publicly announce the withdrawal of conceptual content and sever your relationship with the owners of the work. You can deauthor a formal artwork, but you can also deauthor live or written work, as it's primarily the withdrawal of labour. Legally speaking, it's a symbolic or performative act but it will have real material and political impact to dissociate yourself from the work and the Zabludovich collection. From a financial position, it would tank the value of the artwork the Zabludovich collection has purchased. It'd be unlikely they'd be able to sell that artwork on as your withdrawal of authorship would withdraw a source of value attached to that artwork. Socially and politically, a big public statement would be incredibly inconvenient for them. If their collection operates as a PR front, then a big PR mess where artists they've bought into are disassociating themselves from them would have a big impact. It would take away the thing they actually want, the prestige and clout of being associated with artists who actually have cultural capital. How to deauthor? Deauthoring is a public act. It just involves publishing a permanent public statement of deauthoring online or wherever it is most visible. This statement should remain visible and publicly accessible to uphold and maintain the legitimacy of the act. BDZ have been working on a practical framework for how deauthoring could occur. BDZ have put together a template letter and a practical framework. You can contact them. Uh, their email is bdzgrp at riseup.net for more info and support in the process of deauthoring and you will be added to the list of boycott signatories. If you still have a residual ick, if you're in a financial position to do so, BDZ suggests making reparative payment of past income from engaging with the Zabladovich Trust to charities that work to support Palestinian people peoples. They recommend MAP, Medical Aid for Palestinians, but others exist too. Three, I am a cultural worker slash artist and the cultural institution I work for slash am working with has taken money from the Zabludovich collection. It feels like it's bigger than me, but what can I do to support institutional change?
you can pressure the institutions you're working for or with to adopt BDS policy. This might sound really far out and massive, and institutions won't take action without pressure and guidance, but it has, it has got precedent. Artists have pulled a fast one. Morag Keel included a note about BDZ at the end of her exhibition handout at the ICA. It read, I have signed a boycott to not show at the Zabludovich collection and data editions or take direct money from Zabludovich and I urged the ICA and others to do the same. And then there was a link to BDZ sign up page. When we spoke to the ICA about their ethics policy in 2019, even though they had taken money from the Zabludovich collection in the past, they said it was a moment of pressure that made them adopt BDS as policy. The Goldsmiths curating MFA divested from the Zab's testing grounds programme. This was a change that came directly from the students. So if you're studying at CSM, Chelsea, Birkbeck or Sussex, Pressuring your art school has worked and it is proven as possible. As a cultural worker inside an institution, you might be more intimately inducted into the institutional justifications for taking the Zabludovich Collection's money. Please see the Chartered Institute for Fundraising document on charities refusing funding and the information about refusing funding earlier. In terms of materialising this, maybe see if any of your colleagues or co-workers can help you mobilise and push for this as formal policy change. It might also be worth contacting your union about helping you with this and about adopting BDS policy themselves if they haven't already. BDZ are also kindly offering their help to institutions who want to draft or redraft their mission statements, anti-racist statements and ethical funding policies to clarify their refusal of funding from the Zabludovich Art Trust. You can contact them at bdzgrp at riseup.net. The email will be linked in the text and also in the description for the podcast audio you're listening to now. Four, I am an artist based in the US. Does any of this apply to me? Howdy, yes it does. The Zabludovich Art Trust has crossed the pond and is in the process of consolidating a base for itself over in the US. They have a gallery space in New York's 1500 Broadway building and Tiffany Zabludovich runs Times Square space. Data Editions is also included in the boycott on account of Anita Zabludovich providing the seed funding and their continued association with her. Data Editions seem to be working with artists internationally on digital commissions, so it crosses borders. The boycott then faces a specific problem with a lack of visibility in the US, so it's strategically important to link BDZ up with decolonial and anti-racist organising that's already taken place in the American arts landscape. There is a crossover of concerns, so it's not a reach. Letter from a Friend, published on Jesse Darling's Tumblr, notes, Gaza remains effectively a laboratory for testing out tactics 
in suppression of protest and revolution and for the repression of any expression of suffering. These, taxic, these tactics are then exported around the world from Afghanistan to Ferguson. And solidarity across those concerns has, of course, happened before. In 2019, Hannah Black, Kieran Finlayson and Toby Haslett wrote the tear, gra- the tear Gas Biennial. A week later, Warren Canders resigned from the board of the Whitney Biennial. The text pointed out the links between tear gas manufactured by Warren Canders' company Safariland and its violent use in Gaza, Ferguson, Standing Rock and on the US-Mexico border. Tear gas biennial called for a boycott and after months of protest and action, it articulated the way collective feeling was shifting, acting as a rallying point and renewal of energy for action and withdrawal. I mentioned tear gas biennial because I know we have an inexplicable but significant readership in the US. I'm writing to you now. This is connected. We just need your help to join the dots to see it. From London to New York to Gaza, there are straight lines. We are more powerful together and all of these struggles are interlinked. The boycott of the Zabludovich Art Trust was issued in July 2014. At the time, Israel was launching an attack on Gaza. Military operation referred to as Operation Protective Edge. By the time a ceasefire was agreed, seven weeks later, between 2,125 and 2,310 Palestinians were killed in Gaza, and between 10,626 and 10,895 were wounded, including 3,374 children. Israel killed more Palestinians in 2014 than in any other year since 1967. As I try to finish writing this now, Gaza is still under siege blockaded by air, by land and by sea. It has been an open-air prison since 2007. Israel's military rule in Gaza and the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, disrupts every aspect of daily life. Palestinians are dying because of Israeli state violence, whether it's airstrikes or the relentless war of attrition and or the brutality of living under an apartheid regime. Palestinians have called for a boycott of Israeli cultural institutions that promote acceptance in the global cultural sphere of Israel's ongoing colonisation, occupation and its apartheid policies. Paju Zabladovich's Arms Money, BICOM, the Tamares Group's property in occupied Palestinian territory. The Zabludovich Collection is a cultural institution that exists for the fundamental purpose of laundering blood-stained money through a precarious cultural workforce. It is the PR wing that seeks to legitimise and artwash profits squeezed out of a system of apartheid. The boycott asks artists, cultural workers and producers to not sell or show their work with the, Zablu- 
with the Zabludovich collection to withdraw the conceptual content of their work from the collection, to refuse to sell their labour to the Zabludovich collection, the Zabludovich Art Trust and its associated institutions, including data editions. The boycott asks the viewing public to refuse to enter the London project space on 176 Prince of Wales Road, the New York space at 1500 Broadway and the residency sites available to visit on the island of Savisalo, Finland. The call for a boycott will be upheld until the directors of the Zbludovich collection publicly recognise the rights of Palestinians and desist from all activities and investments supporting the Israeli state in maintaining an oppressive and colonial system of apartheid. The boycott works. They don't care about refusals made behind closed doors because names can be quietly removed from websites and no one has to know. It is artists, the same exact precarious workforce that the Zabludovich collection relies on for silent complicity that grease the wheels of the art world's machinery. If we all make our disavowal public together, news will spread. <laughs>